Well, good morning. Uh, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, verse, we're going to be looking at verse 16 uh, specifically this morning on the theme of Ephesians 4 and walking worthy of our calling. Um, I just want to say before the lesson, um, Eve and I, we just got back from Minnesota. Um, and I love getting to travel and see brethren that I know personally and brethren that are um, very invested in the work that's happening here. I don't know if many of you know this, but um, there are about four other churches that support me financially, um, churches that I've known for some time, and they're all very invested prayerfully in wanting things here to succeed by the grace of God. And it's always very encouraging um, to see brethren who are that invested, to get to tell them about the good and encouraging things that are happening here in the work, and just seeing how much it refreshes their hearts and um, how, much, how much joy it, it brings them. Um, so I just want you to know that just like in the epistles where Paul would talk about greeting those in other places, you know, and how much that would, that would give a sense of uh, greater unity. Um, our unity with, with each other here uh, is very intimately important, but um, getting to know how, uh, how much unity there is with other Christians in other places I think is also extremely encouraging as well. Um, so this month, um, we're doing a lesson once a month, and uh, this month we're looking at, again, verse, four, verse uh, 16 of chapter 4. And the idea of verse 16 is going to be the importance of each part of God's body uh, locally in a, in a congregation working in unity with the other members of, of the congregation. Um, we're going to make this lesson really practical, and this is going to lead into the rest of the chapter being very personally applicable as well. So there, I think is a deliberate transition in the chapter. I also want to go back to really what triggers all of the applications of this chapter. Ephesians 1 through 3 really outlines our calling as God's people, both collectively and individually. And the idea of a calling is really being called out of one condition and into another. And so when we're called to walk worthy of our calling with which we've been, re- which with, with which we've been called, the idea is that God is calling us into a new condition. He's calling us into his glory. And Ephesians 1, 4, 1 through 3 says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So just like a marriage, there is a unity that's received at the point of of marriage, where the commitments are made and where a husband and a wife are pronounced husband and wife together. There's also a unity that from that point forward that they're called to preserve. But then, just like in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 13, There's also a unity that a married couple is constantly striving to more fully attain to. And it's not something totally separate from the unity they've received. It's more a progressive development of that unity that's already been received. So what we're thinking about this morning is we're really in the the concluding context of a section of Ephesians 4 that's focused on a church working in unity together, growing into that fullness of Christ that we've been called into together. So I'm going to read verse 16 again, and then we'll get more into the specific nature of the applications. It says, From whom, and that is Christ being the head, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, 
causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So we're going to start in the lesson just thinking about realities of being the body of Christ. So I think it's important to note that the church being referred to as a body, it's a common illustration in the New Testament, and it's an incredible illustration. We all have bodies, and so there's obviously some really fundamental way that we're able to then understand the principles of the church being a body very well, very intimately. But it's not just that the body, the the church being a body, it's not just that that's a good illustration. It's really more than an illustration ultimately. The church being a body is also a reality that we're called into and called to embrace together. So again, although it is a very good illustration, that's really not all that it is. So like the seed in the sower, Uh, parable in Matthew chapter 13. It was a good illustration that teaches principles, but the way that the church is referred to as a body goes further than just being a parable-like illustration. So we're going to try to understand more these realities of the body as we go through the lesson. I want to go back to chapter 1, verse 18 through 23 as well in Ephesians. This is the first place in this letter where the church is referred to in this way. And it's a part of this prayer that Paul is, is praying for the saints in, Ephesia, in Ephesus here. Um, chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. So it reads, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You'll see on the board here, the, the principle really with this section related to the body is that the reality of God's glory and the reality of his power, it's all held and completely invested within the body. And so when we're a part of the body, we are a part of what God has invested the most in. And if you look back at verse 19, uh, he mentions that there is surpassing greatness in, in his power toward us who believe. The principle on the board here underneath that first point might seem confusing. Remember Jesus when he fed the the thousands? Um, We looked at that this past Wednesday in John chapter 6. And just remember that when Jesus fed the thousands, in that case there were 5,000 men, not including women and children, the disciples said that they just had five loaves of bread and two fish. So they obviously had not only insufficient means, but their means were so insufficient that it was like worthless compared to the actual, the actual need that they were confronted with there. But Jesus provided. Jesus didn't need them to have everything. He just needed them to listen and to respond to his word. And he would use himself the little that they had, and he would fulfill his desire through that littleness that they had. So when we're thinking about the church being the body of Christ, God has invested within his body in a way where we can have confidence that Jesus is able to provide for all the needs of his body. And that's just the nature of the body. When we see the needs that exist even locally here, for an individual, it might seem overwhelming the kind of needs and the depth of those needs. 
but we are not each of us personally completely responsible to fill all the needs that exist here. We just need to listen to the word of God and respond to the word of God and act on the word of God by faith. Jesus will provide for the needs of his body powerfully. And if you look back at verse 18, he calls on us to understand the hope of the calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So the idea of God being fully invested within his body in everything that exists in all creation, you think of all the galaxies and organizations that exist in the world, all the political powers that exist in the world, all the economic industry that exists. And ultimately what God is focused on redeeming out of the world is his body. His body, his people are the investment that he's looking to redeem from all the glory of creation. So if we're a part of the body, we're connected to the power of God we're connected to the love of God and the grace of God. So a couple more principles here with the nature of the body. A body by nature is interdependent. And that just means we're mutually dependent on one another. So like the hand internally is connected to your arm bones with your shoulder and your shoulder then is connected to your collarbone and your ribs. So a body is mutually dependent. And if one part of the body is injured, it either slows down other parts of the body or even needs to call on other parts of the body to work to compensate for its deficiencies and bring healing. So a body by nature is interdependent. And something important to understand about this is the spiritual wisdom of God that is at work in this form of dependence is really not a kind of dependence that the world is able to accomplish of itself. So sin and pride and a love for the world really work against and destroy that spirit of dependence that Jesus died to create in us. And I think it's, it's important to understand how, in a sense, distinct this kind of dependence is so that we're able then to almost have a greater sense of determination to do what God calls us to do, knowing that it's going to require sacrifice and discipline to learn to be dependent on one another as God calls us to be. And then finally, just very briefly here, if the church is the body of Christ, then how we treat and invest in the church really is a very visible manifestation of our interest in Christ himself and our investment in Christ himself. Just remember in Matthew 25, there's a scene of judgment where people are described as like sheep and goats and they're separated from one another. And ultimately, the basis of judgment is how those people treated God's own people. So Jesus would bring up, when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was hungry or thirsty, you fed me. So the standard of judgment was how were God's own people treated? And neither party realized, ultimately, that that would be the basis of judgment. So our disinterest in the body, which is very easy to take for granted and overlook, ultimately is a reflection of our interest in Christ himself very personally. So for the rest of the lesson, I want to look outside of Ephesians at some other places in Scripture that help us to make more clear applications of the principles we see in chapter 4, verse 16. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12 um, is the place in Scripture in the New Testament where the church is referred to the body most, most consistently referred to as a body. Um, we looked at this section a couple of years ago when I was teaching through 1 Corinthians, and so if you were present there, um, some of these principles and applications will seem very familiar. But the first thing that I want to point out before we start reading is for you to notice 
how vital each member is to the body. And that's going to be an important application that we're going to make from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That the body has many parts invested within it, many parts connected to one another, and just by nature, it's very easy to take for granted how vital each and every member is to the working and health of the body. So we're going to start 1 Corinthians 12, verse uh, 12 through 20. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. So one of the things here with each member being vital to the body, one of the ironic things about the body is God has designed his body to have unity through dramatic diversity. And the more, the, the more diverse the body is, the more unified it can actually become. And think about how different that is from the way things are organized in the world. Usually, for instance, if you're looking for a church that you know, you're visiting or you've moved into a new area, sometimes the way that I've thought is, I want to look for people who I most easily connect with. Maybe it's people who look like me, people who talk like me people who have very similar circumstances or interests as me, maybe similar jobs to what I've, what I've experienced, what I've involved myself in. But really the body of Christ is intended to be more unified by more diversity. So if you look at verse uh, 15 through uh, 19, or verse, uh, verse 20 specifically, you've got an image of like talking body parts and it's kind of comical, but if you look at verse 16, you have an ear that is kind of thinking, because I'm not an eye, well, I'm not a part of the body anymore. And a struggle with the nature of the body is it can draw out our insecurities. It's very easy to admire the function of others and the place of others, really to the point where I'm dismissing or undervaluing my place or my role within the body as a result. And so I think this is important to understand, and I just really think it's important for us here to really listen to this. The more insecure you feel in the body, the more uncertain or out of place you feel, that actually is a sign that you're all the more vital to the body, the more insecure you feel within it. Maybe the harder it seems to connect or feel like you belong actually shows how important you are to the unity of that body here or anywhere else. And I know that here we have a lot of diversity in our local church here. And that diversity actually is more unifying to the body than if we lacked that diversity as well. And there are members who struggle to feel like they belong or can relate to the other members of, their bo of the body, but those members actually are all the more important as a result. We'll see that more as we continue in, in chapter 12. But look at verse 18. This is a verse that when I noticed what this was saying, 
This really impacted me and changed my perspective. But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. Do you remember that psalm that says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made? And usually that's like a great encouragement to us when we're, when we're struggling with feeling just even generally like we have a purpose or a value in life. Think about that all the more with our place within the body. God has thoughtfully placed us in the body where we are. God has used wisdom, the wisdom that was behind creation. God has used that wisdom to specifically design a role, specially for us within the body. And so if I'm undervaluing my role in God's kingdom and in the body, really it's a matter of faith. Do I really believe how much God has invested and how thoughtful he's been to design me for a special place within his kingdom, within his body. Verse 18, if you struggle with feeling insecure or out of place, this is a great verse to remind yourself of, to remember that God in his infinite wisdom has placed you where you are for a very specific role and purpose. Let's look at the rest of the section here through verse 27. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body. But that, but the members but that the, the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. So Ephesians 4.16 uh, says something that the language can be kind of difficult to understand exactly what it's conveying, at least for me. It says that the body is fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. The reason why that's kind of difficult for me is the image of a joint supplying anything. Um, because a joint is not the same thing as like your hand functioning. So you'd think like, well, all a joint does is it serves for giving room for other pieces of the body to connect together. That's really all it does. So like between your elbow and your forearm, there are joints that are making room for those connections to happen and for your ligaments to move. In your wrist, there are joints that are making it so that you can move your hands around and your fingers. Your knee has multiple joints so that your legs can move and flex and bend. But I think this is really the idea, that the body is able to function in a healthy and godly way when we're making room for one another within the body and when we're seeing value for each other within the body, that we're making connections for each other within the body. There's a brother in Minnesota that I got to see, and I was kind of concerned that he actually came to see us. He's, he's in his 70s, and he takes care of his 100-year-old mother. And uh, my dad invited him to have dinner with us one of the days we were in Minnesota. And uh, when we were sitting down and eating, he told us that he only sees people that he's confident are healthy because, you know, he's concerned about his mother. Well, Eve and I had just been in multiple airports, so I was kind of concerned that maybe we're probably not actually the most... Um, probably couldn't really have that much confidence in, in our health. But one thing about uh, this brother, his name is Chester. I used to have Bible studies with Chester in Minnesota. 
And Chester is an older brother. He has a very different kind of personality. Um, he's, he's kind of introverted, kind of awkward. Um, so like in a worldly sense, Chester and I would really not have much reason to relate to one another. But because of God, we're able to have unity together and we're able to work together and encourage each other. And every time I talk to Chester, he has new Bible studies with people. And Chester is able to encourage people within the church in Minnesota where he is very uniquely because of how different he is from other people. And so Chester is a very vital joint supplying room for new kinds of people within the body there, even though Chester is the kind of person that, again, he's older and he doesn't have a type A, like loud personality. So he's the kind of person you'd easily overlook. And we have people like that within the body here. And it's so important that we learn to value the parts of the body that can be easily overlooked. So in verse 24, it mentions that God has so composed or designed the body, giving abundant honor to the members that lacked it. So this is something that God has done himself. We discover this when we read his word, when we see his nature. But look at verse 22 and 23. This is actually something that we are called to reflect in our way of treating one another. Because God may do this behind the scenes, and we realize this when we see in his word God's focus on exalting the lowly and bringing those in the background into the foreground. But the responsibility is we as a body can actually fail to imitate that reality of God's character. So notice verse 23 especially those members of the body which we deem less honorable. God has designed the body where there, in a very real way will probably very consistently in any local church be people who are a part of that church where if you look at them only by appearance, you'll make the mistake of thinking this is not somebody who really is very valuable to the work and function of this body. And what scripture is saying here is that that person that we would naturally deem less honorable or less valuable is actually one of the most important members of that family of God. And we have to learn to actively show that honor to each other and look for those who can be overlooked and give them more abundant honor just as God does. And this leads to a unity that I think is difficult to understand without God's direction in verse 25. God has organized the body in this way so that there would not be any division in the body. What I think this means is there are different kinds of unity within a body. A church may sometimes be very doctrinally sound. They may teach the right things, but they may not be treating one another with honor. And that church, although on the appearance they may have doctrinal unity, they may be actually internally very divided. What we need to be is a church that is both doctrinally sound in teaching and practice, but also in the honor and the, the love that we show to one another, especially to those who by appearance may seem less valuable to the work of the body. Um, so one last principle with this. The, the first section of 1 Corinthians is exalting others and then undermining or undervaluing myself. This section, if you look back in verse 21, this section of the chapter is more focused on overvaluing myself and undervaluing others, and both are a danger. We need to be careful with comparing ourselves to others in a prideful way, where we are not putting the value that God has placed on each member. 
But we also need to be careful that we do not overestimate our own role and function so much that we don't give enough credit to the more hidden roles that are behind the scenes within the body. So the last part of the lesson, um, I just want to spend time brainstorming different ways that we can function individually within the body. So Ephesians 4.16 talks about the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So it's not just that some members are proactive, but it's that each person is learning how they fit into the functioning of the body by fulfilling their role. And there are going to be very diverse roles that exist within the body. I was debating between 1 Peter and Romans 12 because Romans 12, uh, we looked at a couple years ago as well, talks about different gifts that are given to the body to be used in service. But I think 1 Peter 4 gives some very good fundamental principles that we can begin to make applications from. So if you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, um, we'll look at this section of text and just try to brainstorm about ways that we can be fervently using our gifts and serving one another and building each other up. 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the first thing I want to mention with this is how much we need wisdom from God uh, to make these applications. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning of the lessons that sin and pride and a love for the world really end up destroying and opposing the kind of unity that we're called to have as a body. And one one of the realities of that is we're all coming from living a life dedicated to serving ourselves. And a lot of times, consequently, in the religious world at large, you'll see that people oftentimes want their service to God to be a very personal, individual thing apart from anybody else. Kind of the idea that I can serve God as an island all to myself and I really don't need to be very involved at all with any local church of any kind or any other Christians of any kind. And that's just not true. And oftentimes there are phrases that get perpetuated religiously that are really just advocating ungodly ideas related to that. So we need to be praying for wisdom to understand how we can be humbling ourselves, to see the value of these things, to have the courage to do them, and the vision to see opportunities that exist that we can be involved in. And two things. In James chapter 1, God promises that if we ask for wisdom, he gives it lavishly and without reproach. And you need to think about it this way. If God in 1 Corinthians 12 has thoughtfully placed us in his body, if he's our creator, if he died for the body of Christ, if he's fully invested within his body, then I guarantee you that God is eagerly seeking to answer these prayers for wisdom. And if we've received special gifts, as it says in verse 10, from God specifically, then I guarantee you God 
wants to help us to use these gifts effectively. And God alone is able to do it. So these are not things that we just, of our own independence, learn to use. These are things that through dependence on God, we learn and become motivated to use in serving. So another principle involved in this is it's actually likely we are already using gifts God has given us apart from serving one another. Um, For instance, teachers. Uh, People who are school teachers, whether they really believe it or not, have a gift in teaching, which is why they've been drawn to that or involved in it. So a teacher in the world, it's natural then that you would think they could use that same gift for teaching in some way within the body. Teaching little kids, having Bible studies, there's some way where that gift can be used in serving. There's some people who are drawn in the world to have careers or to look for opportunities that are really related to showing compassion and showing mercy. There's some people who like labor jobs and they're drawn, they're drawn to hands-on type work. All of those things, I think if you just think about what you're already doing in your life, that I think can be a really good starting principle to understand ways that you can be looking for opportunities within the body to also get involved. Because with whatever we're invested in in the world, as exciting as it might be or as fulfilling it might be to use our gifts for worldly achievement, ultimately God has designed us, like 1 Corinthians 12 again, God has designed us with the gifts that we have ultimately for the furtherance of his purpose within the value of the building up of his body. So a couple more principles here. We're told to be fervent in our love for one another. And so these are very uh, internally oriented commands that we have here. And there's really two things that I think pretty much summarize any way that any gift can be used in serving, and that's speaking and serving. So I just want to conclude the lesson just very briefly trying to brainstorm about how can we excel more in speaking and how can we be seeking to excel more in serving. And again, I think anything we do in serving each other is going to fit into these two categories and branch out from there. So speaking. Imagine speaking is obviously verbal, but speaking may also be written as well. So think about our circumstances right now. There are some brethren who are very uncomfortable with seeing people face to face because of wanting to be uh, careful with the circumstances with coronavirus. So speaking could be sending a text. It could be engaging somebody in a conversation in a text. It could be sending a Bible verse with a word of encouragement in a text. Uh, I know calling on the phone with texting can feel very awkward. Um, I'm one of those people where talking on the phone, for some reason, it just it feels extremely awkward and difficult a lot of times, and I'm, I'm not sure why. I just feel like texting ends up changing the mentality about just talking on the phone. But our phones still work, and it's worth fighting through that feeling of awkwardness to encourage somebody with verbal communication over the phone, right? So there's some brethren that we just, we don't get to see here um, because they're more shut in right now. And calling those brethren is so meaningful and encouraging to them. Sending a card, something written uh, with a pen. Uh, Eve and I have gotten some cards from brethren, and those cards have been so encouraging and meaningful to us. Uh, Miss Joanne and Mr. Bill, for instance, they sent us a card recently as we were away in Minnesota. And just the the thoughtfulness of that handwritten card was extremely encouraging to us both. It could be when we're at assemblies, just asking more meaningful questions. 
maybe determining ahead of time of wanting to utilize the opportunity of conversations we can have here to just have a better understanding of maybe burdens somebody has in their life or what's really going on or how somebody is doing and having more genuine love for the circumstances that we may be in or worries that we may have. It could be that verbally just expressing love and encouragement. Um, Verse 11, when we're thinking about speaking the utterances of God, I think it's not just quoting scripture directly. You think about when Paul to the different churches, we studied uh, 1 Thessalonians recently, and you think about in these letters that Paul would write to these churches, how much he would lavish encouragement on the churches when he would write to them. So speaking the utterances of God may, may not just be quoting scripture to each other, but expressing the love of God to one another as well in meaningful and genuine ways. So there's more, I imagine, that we could think about with with speaking. But we'll move on to serving. Serving could just be prayer. Um, There's brethren who are a part of this work who are very infirmed. I think about Miss Betty, who uh, only in great pain is able to get out and move around very much. Serving in prayer is one of the most meaningful acts of service. And the more dedicated we can be to prayer the more dedicated we'll be to having the mind of a servant to the brethren in any other way that we can. And serving through prayer really needs to be just a part of every one of our lives in general. But again, especially when somebody feels like they're not as important to the body because maybe they're not able to stand in front at assemblies. Maybe uh, as women struggling to understand, well, what, what role can I play if it's not proactively at an assembly or at a kid's class, a kid's Bible class at an assembly? Prayer is something that anyone can do, and prayer is the most direct connection we have to God's ear and God's power. So we need to be careful to not undermine people's roles, but we need to be careful to not undermine God's role in his response and his love for the prayers of his people. Serving could be trying to talk to other brethren in a way where you're noticing the burdens that are heavy on brethren. Trying to really think about how can I lift up the burdens that are weighing down on those who are here. Um, It doesn't take long with getting to know each other to find that there are burdens that brethren are bearing. I think in verse 9, that gives context to the importance of being hospitable to one another. When you're sitting down in your home with each other, when you're having a meal together, it it can become pretty quickly apparent what's really going on in someone's life, especially when you're extending hospitality for the express purpose of loving those you've brought into your home. And hospitality is not just an event in, in the home, but hospitality can, be a, hospitality can be a mentality in other contexts as well. Just wanting brethren to feel at home when they're around you, trying to get to people where they are, trying to understand where people are. And again, that leads to noticing burdens and carrying those burdens with others as well. Uh, giving company to the lonely. Serving can just be even having a presence in someone's life when having a presence in their life requires a disciplined focus in love. I think about Miss Grace. Um, So Miss Grace is a widow who's a part of this congregation. And when I talk to Miss Grace, um, one thing that she consistently brings up is that she just feels very lonely. And somebody like Miss Grace can be easily overlooked, like 1 Corinthians 12. And so sometimes serving could just even be relieving the burden of somebody who's lonely. Um, I think, again, I mentioned Miss Joanne and Mr. Bill earlier. They're shut in right now, and usually they're at assemblies and can get out a little bit more. 
You have Miss Betty again who's only able to get out in much pain. And so just proactively pursuing getting their numbers or wanting to visit to knock on their door, all of those things are acts of serving. Uh, as men, it could be looking to participate in assemblies. It could be even the things already being participated in. Uh, if you look at verse 11 again, you're serving by the strength which God supplies. And that's striving to do everything with excellence by the grace of God. Knowing that you're pleasing God, you're serving God, and that God has joy when his children are serving in a way with the ambition to build up others. And so that kind of mentality leads to wanting to always improve. And that doesn't mean that people are competing with each other, trying to outdo one another in a worldly kind of way. It just means like the end of the verse mentions that we recognize that God is worthy of all glory. All glory belongs to him. And so we want everything we do to give him as much glory as possible. And there's always more glory that can be given to God. It may be women helping each other in serving each other through mutual conversation, uh, babysitting children. It could be volunteering uh, to come over and watch kids while parents go out and just have time together. Um, it can be women encouraging each other and raising their children, encouraging each other as wives. It could be having a Bible study outside of the context of an assembly or singing songs together, praying together outside of an assembly. The idea is this. We get very creative with the things we're most interested in. We get very creative and very thoughtful about things that we see are most necessary for us to do in our lives. We get very creative with needs that we see need to be accomplished in our lives. And so as creative as we may be with other interests in our lives, as the body is the glory of Christ and the fullness of God, in the same way, we need to be applying that same thoughtful sense of creativity, knowing for a certainty we absolutely have a vital role to play in the body of Christ. And our role is a role that God has designed us to excel into his glory. So with those things in mind, I would just encourage you, remember what God's word says. Remember what we're called to do. And I would want to conclude with this thought. This section, as I mentioned before, it concludes with very individually oriented applications toward the body. The rest of Ephesians 4 begins to get a lot more personal, almost outside of the context of the body, whereas chapter 4, 1 through 16, it begins the section of Ephesians focused on application. And I don't think it's an accident with how unnatural this interdependent relationship is within the body. I don't think it's an accident that Paul, inspired by God, focuses first not on the most individual applications, but on the mutual applications that we need to be making. So may God help us to continue to grow together in the service of one another and in building each other up for the glory of his, of his name and, and his son. So if there's anything that we can do for you this morning, if there's any need that you have, uh, we would encourage you to speak the truth in love and allow us to have opportunity to meet your need, whether it be that you want to put on Christ in salvation this morning, being baptized into his son and being clothed with him, or confession of sin or just confession of a need. We would encourage you to do that and come forward while we stand and sing.